don't be a hero trying to win every little conversation. Make it a relationship that has a longitudinal span to it that will compound in ways that you can't imagine. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, friends. David right here, and I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And today I am lucky enough to be joined by Jason Suzuka. Jason, it's a pleasure to have you on. David, great to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. So Jason, for those of our listeners who may not know, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Yeah, happy to. I serve as the Chief Digital Officer for Bon Secours Mercy Health, which is a nonprofit Catholic health system. As its Chief Digital Officer, I oversee all of our digital assets and experiences for patients, physicians, and our associate, our 65,000 associates. But where I spend most of my time is transforming us to an outside-in approach. So we're using our balance sheet and wait as a prospective client to go acquire and invest in other assets that we then can apply BSMH's book of business across. So that's called, we launched that early last year. It's called Accrete Health Partners. We currently have just under $450 million um, at work in that already. And that's where, quite frankly, where I'm spending the predominant amount of my time is standing those assets up. Yeah, it makes sense. I've seen a lot of successful programs. So Kudos. And I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that. But before anything, Jason, I always like to start off the episode with just one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave everyone with today. That might be the blind leading the blind. I guess it depends on who you are. And from when I listen to the to your shows, I always put myself in one of two camps that I've been in. And the first is for the entrepreneurs that are listening. And I go back to my entrepreneur days, both those that were successful and those that were not successful. I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is there's a gigantic gulf between need and demand, especially in healthcare. There are millions of things that we know populations are in need of. But until you get individuals, especially paying individuals to demand them, 
you're not going to go very far. So my piece of advice for entrepreneurs is no matter how great your solution is, cater its presentation and value props by audience member so that they ultimately demand it. Like when you sell into a system or you sell into a payer, you got to understand the actual outcome of your product is nice and interesting, but it's one of 400 things on their desk. So you got to raise it to the top of the pile by getting it to be to sing the song that they're looking to listen to. I think there's that. And then when I think about other chief digital officers, CIOs, even CEOs that are funding positions like mine, I would encourage everyone to really get out of this inside out and really go outside in, especially over these next five to seven years. I think those that stay hunkered down on doing everything in-house you're going to collapse under your own weight by the end of the decade. So I would encourage everyone to get out of the halls of your current system and see what others are doing and then port them in as appropriate, but as quickly as possible. Yeah. Let the guys out of the basement. Yeah, Can't tell you how many times I've visited IT and digital teams in the basement of a health system. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Jason, I want to just learn a little bit more because I've reviewed some of your journey and it's extensive. I know you've been on the payer side and tell us a little bit more about how you started out and how you got to the position that you're in today. Yeah, it's certainly not been a career for those that love linear. It's been a lot of happy accidents, mostly driven by the fact that I both a blessing and a curse of when I was starting out, not knowing what I wanted to do. And I had a little bit of interest in a bunch of different things. So I took the luxuries of youth and kept dabbling in different things. And so very, over the course of a few years, I was at the California State Legislature for a couple of years. I then took a role in communications with GE Capital. That sprung board me into product development and product marketing. And all the while, I had this belief that I'd be a great lawyer. So I went to law school while I was doing that. Turned out I was wrong. I was not a great lawyer. But I was really good at using the legal education in a whole bunch of other areas that I was in. And then one of them was I was able to, in 2007, really start to see where the internet and digital at large should be transforming stakeholder experiences. And I, fortunately, at that point, as we were talking earlier about our kids, I didn't have any, didn't even have a wife at that time. And I said, I'm going to step out of corporate America and try the entrepreneurial thing. And as the advice goes, I was fortunate to fail very fast multiple times and then finally found the right play that at the right time that worked. And that's what really got me on the journey that I'm on now because the company that I co-founded with Silicon Valley hero, Jake Weinbaum, was acquired by Cigna Healthcare at the very end of 2017, early 2018. And after I served a few years there as their chief digital officer, I decided I wanted to now switch over and get a, an experience from the provider side, get into care delivery instead of just care payments. When I was fortunate enough to meet John Starcher, CEO of Bon Secours Mercy Health, it was creating the role of a chief digital officer. And so again, a happy accident that the timing worked out and I knew just enough people that liked me just enough <laughs> to introduce me to others. And now I'm with you. So the journey is complete. I, this is a high note. Oh, man. I really admire humble leaders like yourself. 
If you just have a way about you that's clearly a very accomplished guy, sold a startup, worked for some of the biggest corporations in America, but humble to boot. So I just really like that. Jason, what would you say is one of the most important things that you learned over the course of your journey personally and or professionally? And what was life like before learning it and after learning it? Yeah, God, man, there's been a lot of lessons learned off in the hard way. I think the one of the things I wish I would have known like way back in the day was, especially when you're dealing with larger companies, it's human nature for the leadership of those companies throughout the ranks is to become internally focused so much. They don't look outside of what's going on in the, the industry and the market at large and how they should be leading from their company's view out there. And so I think I dealt with a lot of frustrations early on because I wasn't realizing that was what was happening. And so I wouldn't make progress as quickly as I wanted to, or I felt we should be because I wasn't putting myself at the desk of my counterpart in those organizations. So I think that was an important one to learn where I go. I could have maybe been more successful for my team much earlier if I would have realized that. I think the other big one that once I realized it, not only did I find probably more success, but I found more satisfaction as an individual is you have to have, or ideally I had to have a problem that I was passionate about solving. And once I would find those problems, my satisfaction individually was off the charts. It would become all-consuming. I'd wake up in the morning thinking about it. I'd go to bed at night thinking about it. I'd ruin dinner parties because I'd step away from the table to jot down a note that I thought of while somebody was telling me some stupid story, right? And again, you got to have a spouse that will entertain you and realize you're only happy when you're completely involved in something. But I think that was the biggest life lesson for me, because when I think back in my time periods where I've not had problems I'm passionate about solving, you get really bored, you get stagnant, you get a little stupid. I found those are times where I'm like, I'm just not consuming enough information to keep going as an individual. And then once you do find that problem that you're passionate about, then man, it just snowballs and you get better and better every day. And I'm not talking about, I'm going to go cure cancer. It can be something stupid. If I'm going to move the needle on this one KPI, right? Like how do I move it from four to 10? Thing that can get you going. That's the biggest piece of advice I'd give a young person is spend a career doing that. Don't just spend a career going to meetings and feigning participation without sparking accountabilities. No way to spend your life. Yeah. Great saying from Animal House, right? Fat, dumb, and stupid is no way to go through college. Not solving problems is no way to go through a career. Boom. Love it. Obviously, or, or not necessarily obviously, but I identify with that. So passionate about the work that we're doing today, about everything that we started with the podcast and the media brand. And it took flying over my skis like the whole time. And I've had some massive crash into the wall type situations <laughs> where we had to bump our event from this year. It cost me five figures. Okay. But even in that moment, I was still grateful because it's just been so fulfilling, not just the work of growing a business, but the work that we're doing in helping health systems and seeing patients get better access to care and seeing those KPIs changing. It's exciting. And yeah, it's I mean, a slog. Yeah. But you're solving a problem for 
individuals like me, definitely across the country and hopefully across the globe as well. And because you've got a conversation going on now that I get to tune in and listen to that involves content and creation that I never would have access to without it. So everybody's finding the problems to solve. Speaking of, of problems, I like to ask, and you touched on this on your last item, but is there a time that sticks out in your mind as a time you were challenged or you've quote unquote failed, but you took a really profound lesson away from that event? Yeah, there's so many cliches you could use. Of, oh, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. But when I think about those times in my life, it's when What's that one mythology where the put, he's pushing the rock up the hill and every time he gets so close, it falls apart and he's got to start over. And that's their version of eternity. I think especially when you're in healthcare, there are so many influences to progress, right? That are outside of your control. And you have to be ready to pivot or even start over on a moment's notice. And I think the lessons that I learned, and I didn't learn them myself, they were taught to me. And fortunately, I had mentors that had been through this before and already had the mentality because I don't know if I would have survived it. Is, But when you thought you were hours away from a contract signature, and then all of a sudden everything changed at the prospect's company and new people come in. You just feel like, I think when I was young and that would happen, I would thought, oh my God, it's over. I've wasted all this time. I'm an idiot. And fortunately, no, we're just, the fight's not over. We're going back. You got to keep plugging away and you have to, it's that great thing that I always tell my kids now, it's uh, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you talk. What happened? I got to hear it. I got to process it and I've got to change if necessary. So I think that was the lessons learned oftentimes really hard. And we can all take solace in Aaron Rodgers' recent, you know, it's always dark before the dawn, right? It's oh like, man, poor guy. It's true though. Right? And that cat is enlightened enough to where he got on that quickly. He's also 39 and me at 29, I took every loss initially as the end of the world. And it's not. That's great advice. Great experience there. And I've gotten over catastrophizing myself. I used to find myself future tripping or, or living in the past. And I feel like mindfulness has really helped me settle into the present moment. And I love what you said about working in healthcare. And I feel like I'm learning that right now, like needing to pivot the politics that go into it all and, and needing to incorporate other people's. You got to go so wide to even try to get your arms around everything. And from an organizational change management standpoint, really trying to make everyone feel heard. And yeah, it's tricky, man. But uh, I would assume like you're never short on input and requests from your listeners and your audiences, right? Of like, hey, I can you do something on this. Can you do something on that? And you're like dizzy with trying to, I would assume that's a constant challenge. For sure. And we're actually going to start doing some C-level hosted episodes that are even more pointed where we'll have a CIO guest who brings on a speaker and they just go down the rabbit hole on something. So I'm excited for that. We're going to do that once a month with some special guests. So that should be cool. But let me know when to sign up because I've got a, I've got a <laughs> folks I'd love to interview. Put them on All right. Yeah. Done. We'll get in the queue there. So Jason, I want to talk a little bit more about what you're up to now. Before we do, we always just like to ask favorite book or literary piece, either that you're reading now or all time. 
if I answered that, like completely trying to be super relevant, I'd fail because it's kick off the NFL. So I'm reading a lot of Peter King, but I think for this, for your audiences, I'm consuming a lot of anything. I go to a conference slash think tank slash industry group every year called Four Change. It's led by Doug French from Sante Ventures and Andy Parham from Brado Health. And in it, where it's a mixture of health systems, payers, other stakeholders, Amazon Health was there this year. But two of the last three years, we've been lucky enough to have Peter Diamandis speak at it. And he's, of course, the world-renowned futures, latest book, Futures Faster Than You Think. I can't consume enough of everything that he's doing, whether it's his books or interviews, other podcasts that he's doing, because he and his peer group are so far out there into the future and solving problems that are champagne problems that you can get to. But I find it fascinating to then go, okay, for the rest of us mere mortals that are living more incremental improvement transformation times, it's a great way to look out there and then come backwards and go, okay, how do I accelerate the incrementality that is the reality of any challenge I might be taking on it at one time? So he's the one that I'm spending the most. And then unfortunately, I've got a very inquisitive 12-year-old son who, quite frankly, Peter's not my favorite because my son will read his books and then we can sit down and talk about it. And it doesn't break out into a fight about who played basketball better in the driveway earlier that day. All right. So it's been a wonderful bonding time. So big recommendation. If you guys have not come across his work yet, do yourself a favor and get some of it. Love that. So Jason, let's talk now about your current role. So you're Chief Digital Officer at Bon Secours, and then you recently took on the lead role at Accrete Health Partners? Yeah, Accrete is the investing arm of Bon Secours for all things digital. So it puts our balance sheet to work from our own investment, although we do co-invest as well and co-acquire. And then the thesis of it is we will get involved with things that we see Bon Secours Mercy as either client number one, or if they have other client bases already, we will become a very important client of. We've pivoted from before Bon Secours, before my time, it had been very active investing-wise but where they were in years past a bit more open to investing in plays that were not related back to their core operations. That's probably the biggest change we've made since my arrival. Got it. Yeah, there's some people that I should hook you up with. We could talk offline, but in this interesting role, what are some of the key initiatives, Jason, you would say that you're working on right now? Yeah, there's three pillars of focus. Again, we're looking at higher margin, higher multiple ways to diversify not only our revenue streams across the system, but then also scale and excel the services of which our stakeholders are avail themselves of. So right now we're really heavy in three areas, IT slash managed services, helping health systems really put out the fires on their IT shops that there, there know are happening or a little bit naive to happening. And we'll be finding out very shortly over the next 12 to 24 months. We're also looking heavily at digital patient engagement. And then third and all encompassing buzz term of the moment of AI, not only how that's going to pick engagement, but 
firmly believing that, hey, over the next five to seven years, AI is, if it hasn't transformed everything that a successful system does and how it modernizes itself, it will have created the potential that it should have. And there will be a clear delineation between winners that adapted and adopted and losers who didn't. And that goes back to, I probably made a comment earlier on, it sounds like something I'd say is around, those will be the folks that collapse under their own weight by the end of this decade and will be left with a lot of regrets. So they can then can come on your podcast and talk about <laughs> all the regrets that they have from these 2020s. I think that's a slide in one of my pitch decks, actually. Hey, this is what it looks like when you work with us, and this is what it looks like when you don't. Go make a bunch of mistakes so we have something to talk about. Love it. I've always actually wondered this, and this is a random question. How does it work with Bon Secours being a nonprofit and obviously the investment arm being for-profit, I'm assuming, and that feeding back to Bon Secours? I'm just curious. Yeah. So we certainly participate in for-profit subsidiaries. It would take our general counsel, Michael Besney, actually coming on and spending about two hours with you to explain how it actually works with blocker entities and, and all of that. <laughs> but what it is, it always comes down to, we will look to have a meaningful stake of equity in any play and then the right control rights as well. For example, we may co-acquire with private equity firm, right? And that private equity firm could be, let's say, 51% for easy math, Bonsacor, 49%. In doing that, we would look, though, to have, even as a minority shareholder in that, control rights around CEO hire fire or annual budget or something like that, just so that we can look ourselves in the mirror and look our board members in the eye and go, we won't let the lifeblood of the system get away from us just because we're a minority shareholder. It will continue to serve us as the primary. So that's how it works. I don't know if I'm answering your question very well. If I, in short, it changes from deal to deal based right. on size, proximity to what services they're touching. And then also how bullish we are about it. For example, we last year we acquired Nordic Global Consulting, which is the industry's oh. only 100% healthcare IT focused firm. And we acquired 97% of it all, all by ourselves. We took the entire thing because we see the market coming to it in a very big way. And we wanted to make sure that it was going to be driving the lifeblood of our organization, which is in any health system right after clinical operations, it's IT as the second largest item in their budgets. And so that was one where we did it all ourselves and we won't hold it all for the, we'll recap it eventually, but it was one that we knew we were not going to let go by us just because we didn't have a partner on it for a fairly sizable check. Yeah, no, that's super cool. Everybody who works in healthcare knows Nordic, a bunch of people who have been there, great company. So what would you say, Jason, are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing today, either in your role at Accrete or as CDO for Bon Secours? Yeah, they're really one and the same with just what view am I looking at it? If I'm at it, I'm either the manager or as an investor or a customer. And often I've got to look at them both sometimes. I think the biggest challenges right now is there's this dichotomy between companies moving slow 
for real good reasons, right? You can't light the place on fire or bad reasons of leaders are more worried about protecting their own career than maybe advancing their career by doing what's best for their employer and customers. I think that's on one side of the big challenge. And then quite frankly, on the other side of the spectrum is the hysteria that is going on with all the new technologies and that are emerging and solution and the promise of their potentials, great, but nobody's using the same vernacular yet. Everybody either thinks a technology has either already solved something and it hasn't or never will and it potentially already is. And so there's just a lot of confusion right now because there's so much. And so when I think about my role at a large company like this, I'm oftentimes dealing with my peers that are incredibly well-intended and so well-intended that they're going out and getting informed, but I'm spending like a lot of my time just clarifying, which means I've got to stay on top of my game, right? So I'm afraid to speak sometimes right off the cuff. I'm like, I got to go do some research on this because if it comes from me, it should be a bit more helpful than <laughs> I think. So, so that to me is probably the biggest challenge that individuals like myself are facing. Yeah, of course. Nowadays we have literally one associate consultant, like all he does basically all day is research, like what's going on because that's how fast it's moving. Like every day there's something new coming out and it's true. I think for us, it's about, you touched on kind of the incremental changes, right? Especially for organizations that maybe historically have been slow to move or slow to change, and they're still working on integrating siloed IT with the business, all sorts of stuff like that. But focusing on specific use cases and maybe starting within a controlled environment where you have some bumpers there, that's where we've been seeing success thus far. Some of the more complex use cases, they take a little doing and with the staffing restrictions that a lot of health systems have trying to do that more abstract kind of planning using AI is it's just not practical at this time for most health systems. But yeah, you're hitting on an important point, point, right? It's like again, go back to those problems. Find the discrete problems that are universally accepted as a real problem that people want to solve because they're ubiquitous throughout all health systems. That's why I was, was impressed with what Epic and Microsoft are doing right around physician notes and there and again nobody's gonna say no don't do that don't solve that problem that's not a real problem and and it's discreet enough to where a minimally viable product approach would work and so it's just really um, hats off to them for doing that now yeah yeah exactly or like one of the ones that we find ourselves doing like all the time now is like automating epic password reset yeah, you know, right. it's like simple, but it's like it could save a ton of time for whoever had to field those calls before automating it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think then, and as we do, that's buying us the time to then also tackle the bigger questions that we're all facing, whether you're a Catholic nonprofit health system or a for profit of like, how are we going to responsibly engage these technologies? And not about bad actors. There's always going to be bad actors out there around the globe. Right. How are we going to make sure our own use of it stays within the principles and standards that our leadership would expect of us? So while we're tackling those big, hefty discussions, we're making progress while we do it. 
Yeah. And I like the educational approach you guys are taking because I think that's also what it's all about. There's so much information flying around that having someone that people can turn to and that you can in turn help people understand, I think is crucial. I hope I see more kind of systems adopting that approach when they can. Speaking of best practices too, I just, I like to also ask any best practices that you'd recommend? You've already recommended a few, but anything else come to mind as to... Again, blindly in the blind, man. Don't follow my (laughs) advice at your own peril. I think one of the other big things that I've learned these last five or six years now being across two very sizable entities is the need to switch from those that are still using a shared services operating model for areas, whether digital IT or and really go to a work for hire model. I think it makes everybody better. It makes the service provider. So in my case, digital IT analytics, it makes us more refined in creating value props that again, go back and solve real problems of our customers. And even though they're internal, they still need to be thought of as a client. And I think it also makes the service recipients better because it makes them shoppers for act for the services that they're doing. And so when we've done this over the last few months at Bon Secours, what I have found is not only are my teams getting better at road mapping out what they're going to do and why our internal clients should fund them to do it, but then I find that my our internal peers are now asking really smart questions and becoming very demanding of us, which they should be. And so I think that's probably my last piece of advice for this conversation. Yeah, I love that. That is great advice. Bouncing back to your role now, I just this just came to mind. Obviously, you're looking at a number of different platforms out there. Is there a innovative play that you've seen or might be on the roadmap already that you're really excited about? Something that you might be able to share that's on the roadmap for the future? Yeah, I'll give you two if you don't mind that we're, that we're working on. One is we last year, we also acquired a great smaller company that called Agile Health, which even though it was a very small team of unbelievable product folks, they had created a text-based condition management program covering over 26 different use cases, everything from smoking cessation to weight loss, diabetes management, et cetera. And it's bi-directional. It's in the B2B space. And this little company doing this phenomenal work landed some really marquee employer names like Walmart, Pizza Hut, Sharp, et cetera. And so I'm really excited to see where they go over these next couple of years. Individual lead and Scott Warren's former CVS guy, great product chops, where how are they then going to say, how are we going to use AI to responsibly expand our coaching capabilities? How are we going to use that bi-directional data for better analytics for not only that individual user, but for a population at large of our at-risk patient populations? Really excited to see what happens there. And then the one that's not out yet, but you'll be hearing about very soon is we are supporting Brado Health in their creation of a AI patient engagement uh, platform that is all based on conversational care. So we will be the uh, pilot group in Cincinnati for them in the dementia caregiver population. 
so that individuals in mass can now have the conversations that they need to be having to answer their questions, relieve some of their stress levels, and then get guided to the next best source of information or care that they might need. And again, to be doing all of that with AI, with incredible empathetic scores is what just, if that doesn't get you excited, then go find a different line of work. Yeah, no, that's so cool. Really exciting stuff. So Jason, a couple last questions I would have for you. First would be with the understanding that you don't have a crystal ball, where do you see the healthcare industry going in the future and or what do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes? Yeah, I was just saying that we were doing our rating agency presentations last week. And what I was when we talked about this, we've done since we talked to you last year, where we're at right now. But more importantly, I said, I'm not going to leave you with what we're doing over this next year. It's what we're doing over the next five to seven years. Again, hopefully at an accelerated incremental pace is that I firmly believe that over the next five years, our industry is going to see more change, more transformation than we've seen in the last 50 years combined. And so whether it be AI, better automation, more understanding of consumer decision-making and behaviors, I just think that you've got to be on your front foot and you've got to be going at the risk of failing. I'm not going to be at least don't be third in doing it. If you're not going to be first, at least be a really quick, fast follower. So I just think, and again, you can use, I just pointed to Moore's law, right? Of the exponential computational expansion doubling every two years. I guess just look at what this is doing. And when you think about how AI and better automation, other automations are already impacting our lives and we don't even know it, just think what that's going to do once it starts to work its way into systems. And I think that there's going to be a floodgate that gets opened up. Once our legal and compliance and cybersecurity teams are comfortable, then I'm going to be able to more, even more quickly bring in the next and the next. And I think at the end of this decade, you'll see at a Bon Secours Mercialtis, we know we're in the business of delivering the highest quality care at the best possible rates. We're not in the business of running large IT shops. We're not in the business of doing this. So we're going to partner with those that are, right? We'll have the clinical teams do what they do best, and we'll have the IT firms do what they do best. I hope that's not too rambling, but it's no, gonna, not at all. It's going to be a fun. I mean, you, what you brought up for me when we're talking about AI too is I think that it comes down to like you said, compliance or ensuring there's no bias, empathy, which you also touched on, and ultimately confidence scores. I talked about this at a conference in London. I didn't get to ask you about the how you guys got a site out in Ireland. How did that come to be? It was before my time, so I can't take any credit for it, but it was the coming together between Bon Secours and Mercy Health, French, Irish, came together and merged their systems. I believe it was back in 2017 is when it started, maybe right around then. And that together is what put together Bonsecore Mercy Health and has them as one of the top 20 systems in the country. Super cool. Yeah, so yeah. it's a, but there they are the largest privately owned private. system. Yeah. 
Yeah, while I was out in London, I learned all about the public versus private, NHS, and all that. So, yeah, very interesting how healthcare works globally, right? Between the UK, India, different places. It's wild. I've lived in this bubble of the United States and how we do things. And it's been great to learn just about how healthcare works around the country when I'm thinking about how I can impact healthcare here in the United States or, or play the tiniest little part. Yeah, no, it's been fascinating for me. Nordic is on a, a really aggressive international expansion, obviously in Europe, Philippines, Australia, potentially the UAE. And just when we bring in the experts to talk about all aspects of that, that go into it, you're like going, oh my God, yeah, cultural norms will change everything about how we operate. And just, and then, oh, here again, it's just fascinating that there aren't enough books on and so I need somebody to quickly write a book so I can get up to speed quickly. Say, <laughs> let me know if you find one. Jason, this was great. Last question I just like to ask our guests is if you could go back five, 10, 15 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, so we're going back to mistakes. And again, I think I learned it the hard way. The greatest careers absent being a famous musician or a pro athlete or something like that. But the next level of greatest careers <laughs> is built on relationships. And I would tell my younger self and I would tell anybody else younger that a great relationship, just like your great marriage, my great marriage, it's not transactional day in, day out. You don't have to win every transaction and you want those relationships. Like when I finally learned it, the fact that I can go back to four stops ago, 10, 12 years ago, and call on a relationship for any kind of help I might be looking for, those are what has aggregated into any level of success that I've had, right? And maybe I'd have more if I learned it quicker. I'd be much better off. But that to me is the biggest one is, especially as the ecosystems spread out and you start working with outside companies, don't be a hero trying to win every little conversation. Make it a relationship that has a longitudinal span to it that will compound in ways that you can't imagine. Great advice. Great way to end the episode. Jason, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for taking the time. Likewise, and I take great pride in even getting to be on here. So thank you so much for the time and, and everything that you're doing for individuals that are sitting in my chair around the country. We need more and you're a big part of us getting through it. Yeah, it's an honor. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.